This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. And it's so good to see so many of you this morning. We haven't had a chance to meet yet. My name is Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I'm going to guide us for the rest of our time together. And I just want to say it is It's so good to have you joining us. And if you're a guest, welcome to New Life. Uh, I want to invite you to make yourself at home. Get comfortable. We've got coffee and tea out in the lobby. Feel free to bring it in. Don't worry about spilling. As you can see from the floor, no one else does. So um, (laughs) go ahead and and do that. Kick your shoes off. Get comfortable. uh, Because we expect something to happen in this gathering. We expect that as you come today, and you might be here for a multitude of reasons. You might be here because... Mom and dad brought you, a friend invited you, a cute girl said she'd go to lunch with you afterwards. I don't know why you're here, but I expect something to happen this morning. I expect that as you come here into this place, into this community, that that God will actually meet you where you are. And so the only thing I would invite you to do is simply get ready for what God wants to continue to do in you and through you in this community. Uh, When you walked in, you should have received a program, and in that are a few things that we're going to use this morning. We believe in blessing this community. We believe in blessing you. So I want you to go ahead and pull out that Start Here card, because we're going to use that. I want you to go ahead and uh, pull out that offering envelope, because that's one way that we can bless our community. And one of the things I want to talk to you about is on February the 24th, that is next Saturday, one of the ways that we can serve you and bless you is that we have a couples seminar. One of the things we believe is that The best thing you could do if you're in a key relationship is to strengthen that key relationship. It's good for your family. It's good for your business. It's good for your friends. It's good for this community. And so I want to invite you, if you're in a serious dating relationship, if you're engaged, if you're married, go ahead and sign up for that couple seminar. It's the last week to sign up, and there's information in your program about that. Uh, The other thing that I want to highlight is on March the 4th, we have a baptism service. And if you're brand new with New Life, a baptism service is simply a time towards the end of our gathering together. We sing some songs, and during that time, people come forward who say, you know what? I believe that God really is who he says he is, and I want to live with him and for him for the rest of my life. And so we we have pools of water. They're actually big horse troughs that we bought because we live in Petaluma, and uh, we cleaned them mostly, so don't worry. They're big horse troughs, and they're full of water, and what you do is you sit in it, And then we lower you under the water because when Jesus lived, he was crucified. He died and he was buried. And so we signify being buried with Christ by going under the water. And then he came up and he came back to life. And he was seen by over 500 people alive. And they told their story. And and their story and that one event is why you're here today. And so we bring you up out of the water. We don't leave you down there. We bring you up out of the water to signify this new life with Jesus. And if you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you. If you want more information, there's info in your program, and you can sign up for that as well. We're in the series called For NorCal, where we are exploring what it looks like to be for this community. Because forever, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, for the longest time, the church has been known for what it is against. It's time for the church to be known for what we're for. And one of the ways we can be for our community is we practice generosity each week as a way of saying to God, God, we trust you with our resources, and we want to use what you have given to us to bless this community. And so through your generosity, we do things like support global projects, 
uh, build churches, work with orphanages, work with schools, build houses. Through your generosity, we do things like feed people who are hungry and care for people in our community and bless schools. These are the things we do when you and I get to practice generosity. And so if you came prepared to give, you can go ahead and get your offering ready right now. You can use the envelope in your program, or you can text to give, or you can give online. There's plenty of ways to do it. Uh, And while you're getting that ready, I want to talk. I want to pause for a second uh, and talk about something. And and we're actually going to be talking about this a little bit later today. Um, But you and I, we know about the shooting that happened in Florida. It hits us heavy. I think this was the 18th school shooting, something like that, in the last two months. And and we're going to talk a little bit later about this binary world we live in of ones and twos. It's A or B. It's right or left. It's yes or no. And how Jesus always offers a third way. How he doesn't settle for what the rest of our society settles for. But before we get into any of that a little bit later on this morning, I just, I just want to pray. We need to pause. And as a community of faith, we can empathize with people who are hurting. Because we believe that Jesus actually grieves with those who are grieving. And he wants to comfort those who are hurting. And so I'm going to pray. Then we're going to pass some baskets. And while the baskets are passed, you can drop in your offering. You can drop in that Start Here card. And then we're going to have a video to get us ready for the rest of our time together. But would you join me as we pray together? I'll be honest, God. Oftentimes as I look at our, our world, as I look at our country, as I see pain manifest through horrible actions and the pain that ripples through communities. Like many in this room, I, I, I want to cry out to you and say, God, where are you? God, do something. God, bring healing. Sometimes you whisper back to me, be part of the healing. Be part of the something. Be part of the care. Would you show us in this community, what it looks like to engage with you and follow a third way in a very polarized world. God, would you be be using churches to wrap their arms around those who are grieving today, both in Florida and throughout our country and around our world? Would we be part of the solution? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So they're passing some baskets. You can take a look up on the screen.
Did you know that this is the second most recognizable symbol in the world today? Yeah, Coca-Cola is the second, this, this brand right here. Do you know why it's the second most recognizable symbol? Oh, Sonoma County. It's because of their vision. Did you know Coca-Cola's vision is to get one of these within arm's reach of every human being in the world? And they're actually, they're getting there. Now, they've got a long way to go, but they are getting there. Do you know why Coca-Cola is getting close to their vision? Because apparently they are very passionate about sugar water. I mean, deeply passionate about getting this stuff into arm's reach of every single human being in the world. Now, notice I said this is the second most recognizable symbol in the world today. Any guesses on what the most recognizable symbol in the world today is? You guessed it. It's not McDonald's. And it's not Chick-fil-A, although they're coming up big. (laughs) It's the cross. The cross is the most recognized symbol in the world today. Why? Because of the vision that God had. Next week, we're talking about the way that Jesus branded God. But I'll just let you in on a little something. When Jesus talked about God and when he branded God, This movement, it was something brand new. But the cross is the most recognizable symbol. Why? Because of the vision that God has, which is to reach every single person with the life-changing love of Jesus. Now, depending on how you define regularly engaging with God, and there are different ways that different people define it, Did you know that in Sonoma County, roughly 92 to 98% of our community that we love very deeply is not regularly engaging with God? That should cause us to pause. Because let it never be said that Coca-Cola is more passionate about sugar water than the church is about introducing our community to the life-changing eternity-shaping, community-enhancing love of Jesus. Which is why, as we head into our 21st year as a church, can you believe we're 20 years old? Good grief. We're we're almost grown-ups. This is very exciting. (laughs) As we head into our 21st year as a church, and we begin to dream about the next 20 years, it's why we're talking about this Engage initiative that we laid out in the fall about being a church that's really about three things. Praying each day for our community, for the 112,000 people in our immediate engagement community from Rohnert Park down to Petaluma. Praying every day at 112. And if you have not set your alarm, can I just encourage you, set your alarm for 112 every day. Even if you silence it five days, that means you're praying for two days for our community. That's fantastic. It's so funny whenever people are in meetings with me at 112 and my alarm goes off and sometimes there's does, which is great, but sometimes there's doesn't. And it's like this horrible feeling of like guilt and shame. Like, oh, I didn't do it. And now he knows. 
you know? And they'll be like, oh, no, I, I just turned it off yesterday. Something happened. I was in a meeting. I'm like, you ain't got to lie. But I'm telling you, I snooze my alarm. I shut it off sometimes. I don't pray every day, but I, I'm telling you, I, I try. It reminds me. It sparks something. Part of Engage is praying each day. Part of Engage, we've talked about this, and we're going to talk about it throughout this year and into next, is knowing our go, our strategic area of service influence. Because could you imagine what it would look like if all five or 600 of us who get together each week, if every single one of us knew our area of strategic service influence, that thing that lit us up, that got us going in the morning, and we were unleashed into our communities to love and serve and care and give. Could you imagine the impact it would have on the 92 to 98% of our community who is not regularly engaging with God? And that's why we're talking about living our give, about saying no to something good so we can give to something great, which is this great movement, this great gathering called the church, where we give generously financially to the church to enable us to reach this community, to create more environments where our unchurched neighbors would love to come and meet Jesus, to do more partnerships globally, to do more work locally, to better serve and care for you. Because I'm telling you right now, We live in a world where most people, and we talked about this last week, they're more familiar with what we are against rather than what we're for. If you if you ask people, what is the church known for? And what do we want to be known for? I said this to us last Sunday. Most people in our community would give us a blank stare and say, What do you mean? What is the church known for? They say, I don't I don't know what you're known for, but I would say this to you. Many people are very familiar with what the church is against. And we've given them plenty of reason because every 10 years or so, at least since I've been alive, the church has been against something. But we want to be known for what we are for. Because when Jesus walked on this earth, there was plenty to be against. But he chose to talk about what God is for. So we're in this series asking some big questions. And in order to talk about this today, I want to talk about just one way, just one way that we can continue to be for this community. And in order to do it, we're going to look at an interaction that Jesus has with a guy who you may well know if you've been raised around the church. But I don't want that to lessen the impact of this interaction. We're going to talk about this guy who was a tax collector and to understand the full impact of being a tax collector, you'd have to imagine like a, um, a gas station next to a high school, and the kids are, let's say a junior high, and your kids are going to get some Yoo-Hoo. That's what the kids drink these days, right? No, they're going to get a Coca-Cola, the most second most recognizable symbol in our world. And there's a drug dealer around the corner who says, come here, come here, come here. I'll give you a Coca-Cola for free, and I'll give you some of these delicious drugs for free. And you get them hooked, and you're like, what a scumbag. Who would do something like that? That is how the ancient community thought about tax collectors. They were Jewish by birth. Remember, Jesus was a Jewish guy living in a Jewish world, following a Jewish God. They were Jewish by birth, but they had basically bought the rights from the Romans, who were the overarching uh, ruling authority of the day, to tax their own people. 
And Rome said, we need this much in taxes, but you can overtax as much as you want. You can be as unfair as you want to, and no one can question you because you've got the power of Rome behind you. And so tax collectors betrayed their own people for their own selfish gain. And we're going to read about Jesus and a tax collector today. And when you hear the phrase tax collector, here's what I want you to do to kind of get ourselves there. I want you just to shout, boo, okay, just boo. But better than that, I'm not a good actor. I tried to be an actor at one point. I actually auditioned for the movie The Sandlot, and I failed. I failed. No, that's a true story. And and I I didn't get it, which is tragic, because otherwise I would have been a star, like all of the child actors from The Sandlot currently are. So I'm not a good actor, but you are. So just shout, boo! Okay, I won't take it personally. This is how the story starts off. Jesus entered Jericho. He was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. Why was he wealthy? Oh, he was wealthy because he had cheated his people his entire life. But he wanted to see who Jesus was. He's interested. He's curious. But because he was short, He could not see over the crowd. Interestingly, in the original language, it just says he was short and could not see him. So we don't really know if Zacchaeus was short or if Jesus was short, but one of them was short and Zacchaeus was a wee little man made for a better song than Jesus was a wee little man. So if you're short, you you could be in great company. Jesus might've been short as well for what it's worth. And so Zacchaeus ran ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. Could you picture this scene? He looked up and he saw him. I don't know if Zacchaeus was dropping like sycamore sap on on him or what? He said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now of all the things that Jesus could have said to Zacchaeus. He said, I must stay at your house today. Think about what he could have said. You are horrible. No one likes you. Stay in the tree. I hope you fall out and land on your head. There are a zillion things he could say. Because Zacchaeus, for all intents and purposes, had said no to Jesus. He'd said no to God. He'd said no to his people. He'd said no to his church. He had said no. God, whatever you are for, I am against. Whatever you believe in, I don't. To the extent that that your people, who you say you love, I'm just going to cheat them every day. Zacchaeus had said no to God. And you and I live in a community where the vast majority of our neighbors and friends and kids and coworkers have said no to God. The question becomes, what, what do we say to someone who has said no to us? Because isn't it true that none of us likes having someone say no to us? Like, I, I don't know. I, whenever someone tells me no, like, no, you can't do that. Everything in me wants to say, yes, I can. You know, like... When the stewardess or the, the flight attendant on, a, on an airplane says, buckle your seatbelt, something in me wants to say no. Like, 
I'm not the only one when they say, hey, please look up here for this instructional video. How many of us say, uh, no, I'm not going to look up here. I know what you're going to say. And listen, if we crash, the chances of me living are very, very small. And this flotation device will not help me in the least. Good luck if you're flying this week. I apologize. (laughs) But let's just be honest. There's something in us that when someone says no to us, we want to say no back to them. Fine. You reject me. I reject you. Which is why we live in this crazy, false, binary world. This crazy, polarized world of yes and no, one and two, A or B, right or left, right wing, left wing. A plane needs both wings to fly. That's a joke I told my kids. They didn't like it either. Okay, back to our story. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly to which you and I, as we read this story, because it just feels like pages, right? We're like, oh, that's really nice. Jesus welcomed him at once. That is so lovely. Jesus chose to say yes, but look at how everyone else responds. All the people who were there, they saw this, they began to mutter or grumble. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Boo. A tax collector. And they're so, so angry. Because most of the church religious world responds the way that our human nature wants to respond when someone has said no to us. Fine. If you say no to God, if you say no to church, if you say no to what I believe, fine, then I'm going to say no to you right back. And so they see this tax collector who has rejected God and they say, how could Jesus say yes to someone who has so clearly said no. And if the church has a reputation of being more known for what we're against than what we're for, uh, let's just be honest, we've earned it, at least in some ways. Because human nature fights against the idea that we could be say yes and live open-handedly with people who have said no to us. Human nature wants to stand against those who stand against you. And Jesus offers a third way. So everybody's grumbling, but Zacchaeus stood up and he said to Jesus, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, and everyone's grumbling, if you've cheated anybody, you've cheated everybody. Out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount that I've cheated. And he has this 180. And he turns. Do you know what this is called, this this thing that he's doing right here? It's called faith. It's called trusting God enough to try. But it wasn't Jesus standing against Zacchaeus that made Zacchaeus turn back to God. It wasn't Jesus saying to him, you've rejected the God of your fathers. And now God is rejecting you. 
It was Jesus saying, I, I got to be with you today. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham, which is simply a way of saying that he is part of God's family. And Jesus made it clear that he loves people who have said no to him. And then Jesus goes on to say, this is my mission statement. He says, for the son of man, and Jesus is talking about himself, has come to seek and save the lost. The son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, if that phrasing kind of puts you at a, ah, I don't know, why is he calling me lost? It's not a put down. Jesus says lost is just someone who said no, who said no to God, who said no to faith, who said no thank you to church, who said no thank you uh, to the Bible and the things you believe. Jesus says that that person is wandering without something to tether them to the realities of this world and the world to come. They're simply lost. And Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. But the church has actually taken this mission statement, and we've said Jesus came to be right at all costs. Jesus came to be right at all costs. And it's our job as the church to stand for the things that Jesus is for and to stand against the things of the people who say no to Jesus. But he didn't say, I came to stand against people. He said, I came to seek people out, up in a tree, over in a gutter, sitting on a sofa on Sunday morning with no thought about coming to church. He, came, he said, I, I came to shrink the gap between the sofa and the seat next to you so that every person in our community could come to know me. He said, I came to say yes to those who have said no. So what is the job of the church? Our job is to say yes to people who have said no, to people who have said no to all kinds of things, who have said no to what we believe. Jesus invites us to say yes to those who say no to what we believe. To say yes to people who have said no to the church. Say, I don't want what you have to offer. Did you know that Jesus invites you and I to say yes to people who have said no to Jesus? Because Jesus said yes to people who said no to him. Think, if you're a Bible-reading person, think about all the times when Jesus said They don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. They do not understand the role they're playing in this divine story. And Jesus invites us to say yes to people who just don't know him. But this requires that you and I push back against insider thinking. Insider thinking, it takes two main forms. The first is Insider thinking looks a lot like building walls. Like having only two ways to go. Like polarizing. Did you know that in 1976, in the election of 76, 25% of Americans lived in a county where the election was won by a landslide? 25%. Did you know that in the 2016 election, 80% of Americans lived in a county where the election was won by a landslide. Do you know what that means? That means that we are clumping with people who are like us, who think like us, 
who act like us, who vote like us, who look like us, who speak like us. And we're polarizing. Like you, I, 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 I've clicked on my newsfeed and I saw this tragic shooting. And I knew what would happen. Day one, Facebook would be flooded with posts saying, pray for Florida. Day two, three, four, and on, Facebook would be flooded with posts saying we need stronger gun rules or this is not a gun issue. This is a mental health issue. This is a sin issue. Responsible gun owners are not the problem. And I looked at this and and I honestly, I start to grieve because here's my thought. We live in a world that only offers two ways. It's either a gun issue or it's a mental health issue or it's a sin issue. Why, why is that? Why does our world only offer us two options? Let me just say something to kind of make everybody angry. <laughs> what if, what if it is a mental health issue? What if it is a sin issue? The bro- sin is, is, let's just define it for a second. It's brokenness. We all have it. I don't have to tell you that you sit, you know you have it because you've laid in bed before and thought, why did I do that or say that or go there or think that or drink that or smoke that or talk to her or message him? Why, why did I do it? You think I'm never going to do it again. And then you, you did it again a week later or a month later. That is sin. And it impacts all of us. And it's here. And that's why Jesus said, I came to free you from this thing that traps you here. So yes, there's sin and yes, there's brokenness and And yes, we need to be a community that is caring for people with with mental health issues. So what if it is a sin issue? And what if at the same time it's also a gun issue? What if at the same time we could say, okay, but in the interim, while we know there's still sin in the world, why not put some cards around weapons that can kill so many people in such a small amount of time? I didn't dare put that on Facebook. I'll just say it at church because it's a lot harder to yell at me when I'm not typing in a post, right? Because there's human beings here. We forget that on social media, but that's another sermon for another day. But what if Jesus offers a third way? We don't have to be polarized. And in fact, our society is looking for the church to be a third-way kind of a church. Our society is craving a community that does not look like the rest of the world, that says A or B, left or right, yes or no, one or two, gun control or mental health, to be a society marked by compassion that comes together and says we grieve for brokenness and we want safety That's why we want to be known as a community for NorCal who speaks a third way, who acts a third way, who lives a third way beyond the binary ones and twos that our society has to offer. So the first way we can say yes to those who say no is to offer something beyond what the rest of our country is offering to offer hope, healing, compassion, to offer apologies and forgiveness 
to hold to systems that lead to safety. And the second way that we can be a church that says yes to people who say no is to avoid insider thinking. Insider thinking says this, uh, and Coca-Cola has to fight this all the time. Coca-Cola could say, you know what? We've gotten Coca-Cola within arm's reach of the vast majority of this world. Let's just care about the people who are Coca-Cola drinkers. Let's cater to the Coke drinkers. Let's give more Coke options for the Coke drinkers. That's very exciting. (laughs) That's insider thinking. And anyone who doesn't drink a Coke, well, they're just an idiot because they don't drink Coke. But they don't do that, do they? They don't focus on their success. They focus on their potential. That we can get the sugar water within arm's reach of every person in the world. What's insider thinking look like for the church? Well, it looks like having an attitude of, if you don't agree with me, you're just an idiot. Come on, how many of us have felt that? I'm just going to say something right now that if you're a Packers fan, you're going to love. You're just going to love this. It's my confession. So listen up. Listen up. I am a a Bears fan. Now, the Bears and the Packers. No, 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 we don't do that. No, no. That is a two-party system. There's so many things I want to say to you right now. That's one of my good friends, and everything in me just wants to, "Mm," but I'm not going to. I'm going to say yes to people who say no to me. So let's just say I'm a Bears fan. I am a Bears fan. But I can be a Bears fan and say Aaron Rodgers is a good quarterback. But a lot, of, a lot of us, a lot of us, whether it's sports or politics or church or non-church, we don't know how to do that. I, I know this because I, I watch the Super Bowl and I watch us demonize human beings. He's an idiot. She's an idiot. They're idiots. And I'm blown away that, that we, the church, doesn't know how to both be for something without being against someone. You know what I mean? Am I, am I meddling now? Okay, don't worry. If you're a football fan, we, you'll forget about this in 11 months when football season starts again. Don't worry. So will I. Um, but insider thinking looks like, well, anyone who doesn't believe in me or do church the way I do church or do church at all, they're just idiots. And insider thinking caters to church people. It caters. And if we're going to be a church for our community, we can't cater primarily to church people. Here's what I mean by that. You know what? I've never gotten an email. I've never gotten an email that said, uh, hey, Pastor Kevin, I don't go to church. Never been to church. Never thought about going to church. But if you did blank, I might come to church. I've never had someone who's not a Jesus follower send me that email. I've had multiple emails saying to me, Pastor Kevin, and it's so funny. Uh, I almost only ever get Pastor Kevin when someone's mad at me. Almost always. Yeah, they'll call me Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. They're mad at me. It's like, uh, Pastor Kevin. If it's Pastor Finkbeiner, I know they're leaving the church. I just know it. (laughs) I don't even read it. It's like, okay, uh, good luck, you know. Um, I just know it. But Pastor Kevin, if we don't start discipling better, if we don't start this program, if we don't start this, I'm leaving the church. And so churches who start off being for a community, drift towards insider thinking because there's like 600 of you and you want so much. And it's good that you want it. I want it for you. I want it for you. 
but not to the exclusion of 92 to 98% of our community who does not yet know Jesus. And if you're thinking, well, what about me? What about me? I come to this church. Don't you care about me? Yes, I care about you deeply. I I do. I, I grieve for you. I pray for you. I'm in tears for you. The amount of things I I hear from you, oh, my heart is for you. Yes, I care about you, but I'll, I'll tell you this to be sure. You will never experience what the church can do for you, because that's what we want. Hey, what about me? Until you experience what the church can do through you. Listen. Okay, I'll say it again. You'll never experience. Okay, yeah. The church can do a lot for you. You know what's really going to light you up, though? I'm telling you. When you get involved with Jesus' mission to seek and save those who are far from God, you'll never know what the church can do for you until you experience what the church can do through you. That's why we're talking about praying each day, knowing your go, living your give. Let God do something through you and then watch what he does for you. I'm going to wrap our time up by talking about the way that this prolific thinker, philosopher, church planner, actually did this in real life. He's in Athens, and he shows up, and he's wandering around this this community that's full of statues to gods and goddesses. His name is Paul. And he gets to Athens, and he's looking around, and there's gods and goddesses, statues and temples everywhere. And then he walks into this spot. So he stands up at this meeting in the Areopagus, and he says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Does that speak to Sonoma County? Yes, actually, it does. We don't use the word religious, though. We use the word spiritual. People of Sonoma County, I can see that in every way you are very spiritual. Because I'm telling you, almost everybody I talk to would say, yeah, I'm I'm spiritual. Because as I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. Here's what Paul did. Paul started off being for his community by saying yes to his community by listening more than talking. Listening more than talking. There was a time in our country where the church, like the church, was kind of the ruling party. You know what we did with that? We talked a lot. And we made a lot of mandates. We held a lot of councils. We informed a lot of politicians. That's no longer the case. If 92% of our community is not following Jesus, then we are not in the majority. And what do we need to do? We need to say yes to our community by listening to our community. What makes your neighbors tick? What kind of questions are they really asking? What kind of things keep them up at night? What are we afraid of? My dad's a principal, was, he retired. Now he's a substitute principal. What an awesome gig. Yeah, he gets paid bank for going in and being like a superhero for a week. It's awesome. Uh, So my dad was a principal, and he's a great principal. His name is Mike, and I always wanted to be like Mike. Like Mike Finkbeiner was the bomb. He put the the pal, P-A-L, in principal. Pal, yeah, okay. Another joke my kids don't laugh at. Thank you. But my dad said to me, hey, Kevin, whenever I go into a new school, and this has served me well, whenever I go into a new school, for the first year, I don't change anything unless absolutely necessary. Like, here's why. 
if I come in and change stuff, even if it's better, I'm going to look like an arrogant jerk. And I won't win the trust of the teachers. And if I don't have the trust of the teachers, I cannot influence them. And if I cannot influence them, I will not reach my goal of educating and developing these kids. The church could learn a lot from Mike or from Paul. That we need to go in and listen and learn before we speak. He goes on to say this. Then Paul stood up and he said, I see that in every way you are very religious. And I think that's, oh no, here it is. For as I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. So the people of Athens, uh, they actually hedged their bets. They thought, we want to worship everybody, but we know we're leaving some God out. This is what they did. And so they said, we're just going to make um, a statue or an inscription to an unknown God just to kind of cover all of our bases. Like, so they prayed to their gods and goddesses, and they say, and that unknown God, the one, I know we're leaving one out. It's like, um, it's like the sound of music, and I know I'm leaving one out. God, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. And Paul goes on to say, I know who your unknown God is. And I'm so glad that you're so religious. I'm so glad that you're so spiritual. And I'm so glad that you are so interested in the things of spirituality that you actually have an inscription to an unknown God. Who does that? You guys are awesome. He doesn't say, what are you thinking with all these idols? He says, look how great you are how spiritual you are. Look at the questions you're asking. And then from there, he goes on to talk about Jesus. That's, that's, putting, that's putting faith in a cultural context that people understand. That's what we're trying to do here at the church. Do you realize that? We're trying to create environments where spiritually hungry people could close the gap between their sofa and the seat next to you by making it easy, by creating irresistible environments to come and learn we're trying to understand our culture and live within it. My hope, my hope is that you will join me in this great adventure because we'll never know what God can do in us until we see what God can do through us. And here's the thing. Something very powerful happens when people who have said no to church realize that the church has said yes to them. All of a sudden, guards come down. Defenses come down. Questions start being asked. Lives start being changed. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the most often quoted little passage in the Bible. I, I can almost guarantee every single one of us knows some snippet of it. The problem is, it is Jesus' rallying cry. It is his brand. If you're wanting to know what brand Jesus looks like, it is his brand, but you've heard it so much, it's become white noise to you, but it was revolutionary. So next week, I'm going to do my best to bring the punch back in to this statement. And tell them, let me pray for us. God, would you use us, this community, to be a gathering that is for NorCal. Would you show us what it looks like to say yes to our neighbors, yes to our coworkers, yes to our kids, yes to our employees, yes to our classmates. 
even when they have said no to us and to you and to the things that we hold deeply to. Jesus, we want to actually be like you in the way that we say yes to those who have said no. And through that, Jesus, we want to introduce the people of these communities that we love so deeply to you because you love the people in our communities. Would you let that be a rallying cry for our gathering? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.